Amen. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And as we are here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to be concluding this chapter. And we're only going to be going over six verses. You know, when it comes to this chapter, we've, we've gone through it and we're here just in the final verses. And in these final verses, the Lord wants to speak to us about our victory battles. And before we talk about our victory battles, I mean, I think it's very important that we all understand that, that we do have an enemy. Okay, how many of you understand that we have an enemy in this place? If you don't know you have an enemy, I'm letting you know you have an enemy. And the enemy that I'm talking about is the one that wants to destroy your life. The enemy that I'm talking about is the one that wants to take you out. And believe me, he will come at you, sometimes in a full-blown attack, and other times he will come at you, seeking to destroy you one step at a time. And believe me, when this enemy comes, he comes and he brings trials upon our lives. And sometimes some of these trials that he brings are overwhelming. Sometimes they're immobilizing. Sometimes it just moves us to a place that we just want to quit, that we want to give up. And no, this is the plan of the enemy. This is the enemy that seeks to destroy you. And for those of you that are sharing your faith, and for those of you that are, you know what, that are being the salt and the light out there, you know what, you are a greater target. You know what, as you take your steps of faith in, in doing what God has called you to do, understand that, that, Lord, that you will be a greater target target but understand one thing is that no matter what you and I will walk and experience victory you will see all of his ploys all of his attacks all of his trials they're all going to fizzle out they're not going to accomplish what they intended to do but he will use people he's going to use circumstances he's going to use whatever means he can to take you out and this is why we have in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay, you're not fighting against people. Understand that when people come against you, that's not who you're fighting against. It's the enemy that has stirred up these people. Because look at what Paul continues to say here. He says, but against principalities. You're fighting against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, the battles that we face, they are not against flesh and blood, but they are against these spiritual powers, these principalities, these, these spiritual hosts of wickedness. And to bring clarity to you on this, you know who these are? These are the devil and his demons. This is who he's talking about here. He's talking about the devil and his demons. And so he's going to bring, you know, all these things to destroy you. And he's going to bring them in several fashion. You know, you know what? He can stir people up to come against you. He can stir people to, to you know what, to, to bring, to, to come against you, to destroy you, to, to try to take you out. Or he can actually use people to come and tempt you into doing drugs with him or, or, or partying with him or doing certain things that, that are going to destroy your life. But I want to share one important truth before we get into the Scriptures. 
And I want you to take this home away with you. You and I, as we battle against the enemy, we are actually fighting from a position of victory. Remember what I'm saying. You and I are already fighting from a position of victory. And what do I mean by this? In other words, you already have victory over the enemy. Whatever trial is coming against you, understand this, you are already experiencing victory. You're already in a place of victory. And I want to prove this to you from the Scriptures that we have in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, it says this, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Isaiah 54, verse 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. I mean, Jesus Christ, the Lord Himself, is saying that any weapon that comes against you will not be successful. How many of us take comfort in this? We all take comfort in this. How many of us forget this? (laughs) It happens. Look at another scripture for you, and I give you these so that you can take comfort in these things. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 37. It says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. In other words, in all these things, whatever comes against you, whatever principalities, whatever trials, whatever things are trying to destroy you, the Lord Himself is telling us that we are more than conquerors through Him, not in ourselves. Remember that you can never have any power against any of these principalities because these are wicked. These are deceitful. These are, you know what, these are just some mind-blowing demons that, that study you and that are so cunning in what they do that, you know what, that, that we can never come against them and they're very powerful. Did you know that an angel, remember the demons were angels at one time? These demons, understand this, one angel can wipe out a thousand people in a matter of seconds. That's how powerful they are. So you and I have no power over the enemy, but the Scriptures tells us that we are more than conquerors through Him. And He's talking about through Jesus Christ. And then another Scripture I want to share with you is, is from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, where it says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You're able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Whatever strategies, whatever tricks, whatever trickery he uses against you, you are able to stand when you have the armor of God. And what is the armor of God? Remember, you and I, if we understand, and we're going to be talking about this in a second, if we understand that we're in a battle, then we will memorize the armor. Because what soldier goes out to fight without an armor, without battle fatigues? So what do you do? You have to memorize these body parts, right? Uh, these armor parts. They're there in Ephesians chapter 6. And they talk about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of peace, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and the shield of faith. So you have all of these body parts. And I can just spew them out, right? Because I, I do this daily because I know that I am in a battlefield and the enemy wants to take me out. So by faith, I put on these parts. Knowing that by faith, if I put on these parts, I am ready to face the battle because I'm able to stand against the wiles of the devil because I have the armor of God, not my armor. Again, remember, everything points to who? Points to God. It's His victory. It's His victory through us. And all of these Scriptures understand that they give us a picture of victory. 
So whenever the enemy comes, whatever tactics he uses, whatever circumstances, whatever people, whatever temptation he brings you, understand this, that you are able to have victory over his attacks. But then there's going to be those that say, right? Excuse me. There's going to be some that say, but you know what? What about those Christians that are killed for their faith? It doesn't seem like they experienced victory, right? They were taken out by the enemy. What kind of victory is that? Let me share this with you. Look at what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, verse 17. This was at the end of his life. Look at what he writes. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear Also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Paul says that the the Lord delivered him from the mouth of the lion. How many of us know about 1 Peter 5, verse 8, as the Lord describes the enemy as a lion, right? The enemy walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. And so Paul is telling us here, he's telling us that, you know what, that the Lord has delivered him from the lion. But we're talking about death here, right? I mean, can't somebody who dies, is that person still experiencing victory? One thing about Peter is that he was bold in the Lord and he was preaching the gospel. And they arrested Peter. And look at what Peter says. As they arrested him and they beat him up. And and then this is what he says in Acts chapter 5 verse 41 where he said, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. So in other words, Peter was saying, Man, you know what? I I have been called to be worthy. God has made me worthy enough to suffer for Jesus Christ. And look at what he goes on to say in Philippians chapter 1 where he says in verse 20, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now as Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Thank you. You know what? Look at what, what, you know what, what Paul is saying here. That even in death, you know what? It's a game. And what does he mean by this? By the fact that it's a game. You know, when we think about death, you know, for many of us, as we think about death, we think to ourselves that, you know what? We're not going to live anymore. That the death is the ending. I want you to know this, that death for us is only the beginning. And that's one thing that we as Christians, we forget, right? Because we're so, you know, we get attached to things here and we think that this is all that there is. But we lose sight of the fact that there is much more. And that death only is the beginning of of being with the one who loved us and who died for us. And this beginning is an eternal life. For each and every one of us. This is what's so amazing. Is that our death only sparks the beginning of eternal life. And yet, you know what? Some of us are fearful. 
Some of us forget about this. And so that's why Paul could say that, you know what, to die is gain because he knew that once he dies that he's going to live forevermore. He's going to be in the presence of the Lord. And so with that, as I gave you a very long introduction, just so that it can prepare us for what we're going to be talking about, about our victory battles, let's go ahead and read these six verses beginning in verse 26. And we're going to go through verse 31. It says here, Now Joab, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Now Joab fought against Rabah of the people of Ammon, and took the royal city, and Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabah, and I have taken the city's water supply. And he's talking to David, he says, Now therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. So what does King David do? He gathers all the people against and uh, uh, gathers all the people together and went to Rabah and fought against it and he took it. Then he took the king's crown, the king of Ammon, from his head and it weighed, and its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones and it was set on David's head and also he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance and he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and iron picks and iron axes, and made them cross over to the brickworks. So he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. I read this to you, right? And it sounds like, wow, you know what? It sounds like a battle that was just won overnight. I want you to understand one thing. This was not a battle that was won overnight. This battle with the Ammonites actually started in 2 Samuel chapter 10. And this battle with the enemy lasted for almost two years. Imagine that the enemy came and he attacked David and Israel and this battle has lasted for almost two years. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 10. I'm going to read to you here beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to read to you through verse 8. And I'm going to read it quickly. It says, It happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died, and Hanan his son reigned in his place. And then, then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by the hand of his servant to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the people of Ammon. And the princess of the people of Ammon said to Hanan their lord, Do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to throw, overthrow it? And therefore Hanan took David's servants, shaved off half of their beards, cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and sent them away. And when they told David, he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed, and the king said, Wait at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. And when the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, the people of David sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob, and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Makah, 1,000 men, from Ashtob, 12,000 men. Now when David heard it, he sent Joab and all the army of mighty men, then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate. 
and the Syrians of Zobah, Beth, Rohab, Ishtob, and Makar were themselves in the field. 20,000 foot soldiers, 1,000 men, 12,000 men. I mean, we're talking about, what is that? 20 plus 1, 21 plus 12, that's 33,000 men. Imagine that. 33,000 men that come out to fight against David. See, the king of Ammon died. And David and his king, they had a good relationship. There was kindness that they showed to one another. But as soon as his dad dies, that's what they're telling us, that King David wants to pay respects. And so he sends his men to pay respects and, and he gets counsel from these from part of his advisors, his royal advisors, and they tell him, hey, David's out to get you. And so the king says, okay, you know what, I'm going to take your advice. I'm going, to, I'm going to show David. So what does he do? He cuts half of their beards off. And we know one thing, the Jews, they were not to touch their beards. This was very personal to them. And their garments, you know, they were conservative. And to cut off their garments up to their buttocks, imagine that, how humiliating that was as they're walking away. The men, people are seeing their buttocks and they have half a beard. I mean, this is funny to us, right? But to the men that are experiencing this, how shameful it was. And how disgraceful it was. So this was an act of war for David. And so immediately, what, is, what happens here, this... The Ammonites, they know that, you know what, that we're going to be fighting David. So they call the Syrians to battle against the Israelites. I share this with you, and I'm going to share this with you because we're going to give you some points here. See, David knew that he was in a holy war. Remember this, David knew that he was in a holy war. He knew that there were enemies all around him. And David was always prepared for a battle. Understand that David was always prepared for a battle. David understood this. David knew that I have an enemy that wants to take me out. There's enemies to my right, to my left, and these enemies are always out there seeking to destroy me. And this is why he can always call Joab. He can always trust in Joab and his mighty men to go out and to fight. And he says, go and prepare for war. See, when it comes to our victory battles, I want you to... Understand this one thing, and I'm going to give you five points to take away today. And these are critical points when it comes to this victory battle. The first point that I'm going to give you is this. You must understand that you are in a battle. You must understand that you are in a battle. See, if many of us, we don't even have, a, there's many Christians, many people that are clueless to what I'm sharing with you now. They have no idea that they are in the battlefield. They have no idea that there is an enemy that wants to take them out. I'm going to give you some scriptures to prove my point. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. It tells us this, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ calls you a soldier. Why would He call you a soldier if you weren't in a, in a battle? Why would he call you a soldier if he didn't have an army of Christians? He understands this and he wants to give us insight that you are a soldier for Christ. You and I are soldiers for Christ. And this is why he tells us in Ephesians 6.11 to put on the whole armor as we talked about. 
Why would He tell you to put on an armor if you weren't in a battle? Think about this. See, this is why the Lord is saying to all of us, is understand when you walk away from this place, know that you are in a battle and you are a target for the enemy. The enemy seeks to destroy you. The enemy wants to destroy each and every one of you. You and I are in a war. And most importantly, there is a war now in this country against Christianity. It is like never before. It is only escalating and it is only growing. You know, we can look at the world around us. We can say, okay, you know what? ISIS, I don't know if you know this, but ISIS was really, I mean, they're targeting Christians. They're trying to wipe out all the Christians that are over there. Right, remember, radical Islam, they have a war against the people of God. Whether you're Jew or whether you're Christian, their purpose is to destroy anyone that is, that belongs to God. And so they're wiping out Christians there in the Middle East. That's their plan. That's their ploy. We heard about Russia, right? Remember, they were closed to churches and they opened it up and now once again, you can't preach in the open square. That just happened as, as uh, uh, Jason shared with us, Pastor Jason, just a few days ago, July 20th, he mentioned, that you can no longer preach the gospel in open squares, in open places. Remember this. What about here? Remember, they took what? Bibles out in the 60s, 62. They took out prayer in, or 61. They took out prayer in, was it 62 or 63? And then also took out prayer from government places. And guess what? You can't preach now the gospel where... For those of you that came out of the military, in the military, they've taken it away from there. And now you have these group of people today, okay, that do not want us preaching the gospel. You have certain parties that say, you know what, the gospel is off limits. You cannot preach the gospel. And their sole purpose is to silence Christians. They want to silence the gospel. Understand this, that we are in a spiritual war zone. We are in a spiritual war zone. And there are people out there in government and and certain parties that say, you know what, we do not want you sharing Jesus Christ. You can't talk about that, right? Because we got to be tolerant to all people. you got to accept all religions. Your religion isn't the true religion. So we got to silence you. Why? Because we want to make sure that everyone has their place. That everyone is treated fairly. Yet, they attack Christianity. That's who they attack. They don't attack. The Muslims are able to what? They have the Quran now. They're teaching them in the schools. But yet, you can't teach the Bible. There's a big difference. Can you see really what the enemy is doing? He's silencing the truth that we have. Remember what Pastor Jason said. How many Christians are dying on a yearly basis? Anyone remember? A hundred thousand. A hundred thousand Christians are dying on a yearly basis. You know how many Christians that means that die per day? That's 270 Christians are dying on a daily basis. Understand this. The attacks against our faith is on the rise. And we have not experienced the type of persecution where they're taking your life as in other countries. But I want you to understand this. It is on the rise. And understand this. As the days and the years keep coming, 
the rise against Christianity will continue to escalate. We're going to be called to renounce our beliefs. We're going to receive persecution. They're going to try to silence the church from teaching the things of the Bible. And it's only going to be on the rise. But I want you to understand this. Remember, we will have victory through all of this. No matter what, we will experience victory. And at the end, I'm going to show you the results of all of our enemies. But before that, let's keep, let's keep talking about this. Let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 10. As we see there in verse 14. It tells us that the people of Ammon, remember this is the enemy of Israel, they went back to their city. But the war was not over against this enemy. See, we are in a battle. And we're going to have these battles. You know, as we see the enemy, the enemy doesn't go away. You jump down to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It tells us there that, that basically that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabal. The victory wasn't there yet. I want you to know that all they did was surround the, the city of Rabal. This was their capital city. This is where the, the people of Ammon were. And they destroyed some of the people, but they were not all destroyed. See, the enemy was still at hand. And even though Joab and the army contained the enemy, the enemy was still alive and breathing. So much that in 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse 16, it says that the enemy killed some of the soldiers of Israel. And not only did they kill the soldiers, but they killed Uriah. So you can see how the enemy was still having some victory, right? You see soldiers dying. You see the, the people of God that are under attack and, and they're experiencing some losses. Remember I shared with you that this battle was about two years. Why would I say two years? How do I know it was two years? Remember, David and Samuel, I mean David and and Bathsheba, David and Bathsheba, remember this, they had one baby. How long did it take for a baby to come out? Nine months, right? Is it nine months or is it ten months? Nine months. I forgot. But see, you're all awake. And if you weren't awake, you're awake now because everyone was laughing. But nine months... So you figure one baby, nine months, right? The battle started before David and Bathsheba slept together. That's nine months. And then David and Bathsheba, after he died, they also had another baby. And he, who was that? That was Solomon. That's another nine months. So we have close to two years here that the battle is between Ammon and the Israelites. The enemy was fighting against Joab and Israel for these two years. I want to give you this. When it comes to trials, remember, we're talking about trials, the victory battles, right? I'm going to give you now the second point. Trials have a time period. Remember this. When we, for many of us, we want our trials to, be, to come today and to be gone, what? Tomorrow, right? But understand this. That's not the truth. Trials will be with us for some time, just like the enemy that continued to attack Israel. And they were at battle with Israel. This was for two years. 
Remember, the devil, he strategizes you. You want to know someone that knows you more than God? You know who that is? The demons. Why do they know you? Because they're assigned to you. The devil has an army. And he has demons that are assigned to each and every one of you. And they study you day and night. They know your weaknesses. And so this is why in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it mentions the wiles of the devil. These are his strategies. These are his tactics. This is his trickery. This is how he plans and plans and plans and finally says, okay, this is what we're going to do. Today is a day of attack. And it's just not a one-day attack because God is not going to allow him to prosper. So he knows that too. And so he has a way of just, just you know what, continuing to come against us. And we know that some trials last for months. How many of you have had trials that lasted for a year? How many of you have lasted for two years? How many of you have had trials that lasted for three years? There are some of you that have had trials that lasted for four, five. Some of you have still are in trials that have lasted now for maybe ten years. And we know that some of these are from who? From the enemy. Because he seeks to destroy you. What about us as a church? We've been in existence now nine years. Okay, nine years. Think about this. We have not had a place to call our home in the last nine years. We have been in one, two, three, four, five, six locations. Nine years. Six locations in nine years. Imagine that. You know, for those of you that know, we were at Hillside, then we were at Workman, I mean at uh, the community center, then we were at Workman, then we were there at the church on the corner of Amar and California, then we're at California Elementary, and we're also here at work at the Women's Club. This is a long trial for us as a church, right? But look at the victory that we're experiencing. Look how, how many of you are here that continue to, to know that, you know what, God is working through this ministry no matter what the enemy tries. And we will have victory over the enemy. One day, understand this, we are going to have our own place. Because the enemy has tried so many times to relocate us. People come against us. He uses people. You know, how many of you know this, that when it came to the property on California and Amar, we put a bid in for that property and the broker never put our bid in. He only gave the bid of the other church. Did you know at Hillside we were kicked out? They say, we don't want you guys here. You guys are growing too much. You guys got to leave. Imagine all of these things that are happening, right? I mean, this is what? This is not circumstance. You know there's an enemy that wants to silence us. He doesn't want La Puente to be saved. He doesn't want us to, you know what, to, to, to make an impact in this city. He knows that he has a hold of this city. And yet, he, for us, you know what? He knows that we are, pose a danger to him. In the city of La Puente. You know, yesterday, I mean, I don't have, you know what, two seconds, or not two seconds, two minutes. Yesterday, right? La Puente held their 60th anniversary, 60 years, right? The city has been in existence. And little did I know what kind of event this was. And next year, we're going to be, as a church, we're going to be more heavily involved. So what I did is I, Someone here, I think it was Grace or, or somebody uh, gave us a, a flyer, right, that, that had this advertisement for the community and they were celebrating and 
So I sent it in thinking, okay, you know what, I'm sure it's going to be a small event and you know what, it's just for the community to come out and to meet the businesses and the non-profit churches and all that stuff or non-profit organizations. So I sent it in and I enrolled it. They gave me a booth, they gave me a table and all that and as soon as I got there, I was like, wow, this thing is massive, right? We're talking about thousands of people that are there. And so immediately I told my son, I said, hey, you got to call. The only thing I could think of I thought to myself, okay, we're there, right? We're thinking, and we said, you know what? How can we bless the community, right? They're not, I want them to come and and to know who we are. So I thought to Tony, I said to my son, I said, you know what? Get Hilda and the girls to come and face paint the children. And so he contacts her, right? And and he gets them to come, and we call Carissa, and and all these these people come to face paint, right? We had lines of people, and and during this time, this is the Lord, right? The Lord says, you know what? He told the deacon of St. Francis there in, in La Puente, he tells him, you know what, go and ask Pastor Tony to pray for the event. And so I went there, he comes to me and he asks me, he says, hey, do you think you can open us up in prayer? And I'm like, absolutely, right? I mean, again, you know what, I mean, this is an opportunity for the city to come to know who we are. And so we, we opened up in prayer, we blessed the community, we had lines and lines of children, and we were able to invite people to the church and to invite them with love and to give out love for the community. Next year, this is a prime location for us to do so much more to bless the community, to, to show them the love of Christ. Because no matter where we're at, the enemy will not stop us. Remember that. And that's what we got to rest in. But we see here as we, as we come to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and i got to move fast. In verse 26, as we're going to now get into the Scriptures here, it says, Now Joab fought against Rabah of the people of Ammon and took the royal city. So the verse tells us that Joab captured the royal city. The word city there is actually the word court. He captured the royal court. So a part of the city, they had the royal palace. So he had captured that royal palace. In other words, it was probably on the side of the city or wherever it was. But he didn't capture the whole place. He only captured the royal court and he surrounded the city. It was ready to be taken. And look at what it says in verse 27. It says, And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabah and I have taken the city's water supply. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabal, fought against it, and took it. And then he took their king's crown from his head. Its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones, and it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. As we look at this, right? This verse tells us how he first, how Joab first took the royal court, the palace there in the city. And then, secondly, he took out the city's water supply. Understand this, without water, can people survive? How long do you think people can survive without food? It's about 21 days, about three weeks, so you all know. To survive with water, you can only survive for seven days. Seven days is max. Without water for seven days, that's it. You're going to be, your life is going to be gone. So Joab knew that the victory was at hand. Joab knew, David, get over here, right? 
I want you to take the city. Bring the rest of the men. We're going to come in. We're going to conquer the city. And you're going to be able to get the glory and the fame and, and just the notoriety for conquering the city. Which brings me to my third point. Every trial, understand this, has an ending. Every trial has an ending. When we go through trials, we would rather have them end sooner than later. But one thing to understand is that, you know what, trials have their way of, of, of you know what, of taking their time. And understand this about trials is that they will end. See, God is the one that says enough is enough. We want these words sooner, right? But God knows the reason for our trials. You know, when, when we think about this, right? How many of you had a sense when your trial was going to end? You know what? Many of us, right? We have a sense that, you know what? I, I, I just sense this trial is coming to an ending. I want to prove to you that for those of you that are still in your trial, to take comfort in these words. From 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. See, what Peter is saying is that there will be a time to rejoice, but you will have this trial for a little while. In other words, meaning we don't know how long the little while is, but it's a while. But understand this, when he says a little while, meaning, he's meaning basically that there is going to be an ending. There is going to be an ending. And, and this is what's so amazing about this. Because see, many of us, believe me, when you, you, you will have something that the Lord reveals to you that, that the end of the trial is near. You know, yesterday, also, we had a busy day. Yesterday, Gonzalo, my wife and I, we, we went to a woman who was severely, horrifically oppressed by the enemy, by Satan himself. Not Satan, but a devil, I mean by a demon. And he lied to her and he, and he convinced her of certain things. But before we got there, you know what the Lord had revealed to her? That we were there and that with our coming, the trial was soon going to end. And that's exactly what happened yesterday. You know what? The trial, she began, she experienced a victory as, 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 we, as we were there with her and we, we revealed the truth of God and, and the Spirit of God just broke, you know what, this, this oppression, this heavy oppression, the lies that the enemy has, the ruthless lies that he throws in the ears of people, in the minds of people, convincing them of lies and of things that aren't true. You know, she was convinced of all of these lies. And yet, with the Word of God, with the truth of God, and by the Spirit of God, the oppression was over. And this is what's so amazing about God, is that He reveals, He gave her insight. You know what? The trial is coming to an end. And so I share this with you only because I want to give you an understanding that all of these trials that you go through, understand this, they're going to have an ending. You will taste the victory, whether it's going to be in this life or in death. It doesn't matter because the victory is going to be ours. And that's what we can rejoice in, that no matter what, we will have victory. And it's not the victory that we get, it's Christ having the victory through us. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory 
through Christ. It's not through you. It's not through your power. It's not through your means. It's not by anything that you do. It's through Christ. See, this is why Joab called David and he said, David, come, the victory is at hand. I want you to experience the victory. I want you to receive the notoriety. I want you to receive the praise for this. The battle that was there for two years was finally over. And believe me, during these two years, much took place between David and his men. Lives were lost. And of course, we know that the sin with Bathsheba was committed during these two years. Let's uh, finish in verse 30. or let's, let's continue in verse 30, I should say. Then he said, Then he took their king's crown from his head. Its weight was a telling of gold with precious stones. And it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. You know what happens here? The king of Amen, he had a crown. And the crown, they say, was a talent of gold. You know how much a talent of gold weighs? It's anywhere between 50 to 75 pounds. Imagine, that's a heavy golden crown. Do you want to know how, how much a crown weighs today? Any royal king or queen or prince that puts on a crown, you want to know how much a crown weighs today? It's only three pounds. So to put on one that's 50 or 75 pounds, I mean, you could imagine, right? But this was only, a, what, a victory celebration. It wasn't one that he continued to wear, but he had all of the spoils there. See, understand this, is that when the victory comes, there are so many spoils. For David, it was material spoils. It had gold and all this abundance of things that they took from the enemy. You want to know what our spoils are? Look at what it is. And this is the fourth point that I want to make. The spoils of our trials. The spoils of our trials. It could be summarized in one verse. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see how... Peter refers to the genuineness of your faith is far more precious than gold. Because when it is tested by fire, it is found to praise, to honor, and to glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Understand this. When you go through trials, yeah, we weigh, you know what, victory by, by monetary, right? But understand this. That's not how God weighs it. See, when He looks at you and you have passed through the trial, when you have gone, had victory over the trial, guess what? What, what? what is shining bright? It is your faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what brings Him glory and honor. This is far greater than any gold that you can ever receive because the gold will perish, but your faith will only grow. Your faith has grown through the trial. Your faith is stronger. You're able to endure the enemy. That no matter what storms of life come, that once you have tasted victory, then guess what? You're able to face other trials. That's why I can share with all of you that when you're going through a trial, don't worry about it. Things are going to get better. Things are going to work out. Because I have been through trial after trial. And I have tasted this wonderful thing called the genuineness of my faith. It has only grown and grown greater as I, God has had victory in my trials. And this is what I share with all of you. Understand that your trials are only preparing you. They're only strengthening you. They're only making you complete. This is why in James it could say this. In uh, James chapter 1 verse 2 it says, My brethren, 
Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You are perfect and complete. This is what happens. This is the outcome of our trials. And we're going to close here in verse 31. It says this, And He brought out the people who were in it, and put them to work with saws and iron pits and iron axes, and made them cross over to the brickworks. So He did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. I'm going to share this with you. The people of Ammon, the enemies of Israel, guess what happened to them? They became the slaves of Israel. The enemy that seemed so overwhelming, remember 33,000 men that came to fight against Israel. And all the people of Ammon, because not all the men, not all of them were men, they had women, children, they had other men that were older, they had younger men, all these people now became what? Servants of David. Servants of Israel. Remember the enemy that had a roar like a lion. Remember this enemy that caused so much pain that took the lives of the people of Israel. This enemy was now defeated. And this is what I want to share with you. This is the fifth point. The enemy that has come against you will be defeated. The enemy will be defeated. See, this enemy that causes so much problems, this is who we call the devil, right? And his minions, his demons. Understand one thing about this devil. Understand this thing about this devil is that he will have defeat. The victory is God's. The victory is ours. Even if we may lose our life, remember it is still gain, but understand this is that we will see the defeat of the enemy. You and I will see his defeat. And when will this defeat come? It tells us in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 20. Look at what it says here. In Revelation chapter 20. Beginning here in verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and Him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and yet, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Every enemy that we have, and remember, our battle, is it against flesh and blood? It's against principalities. It's against the spiritual hosts of wickedness. All of these enemies that stirred up people against us. Because when people come against you, as, God, as Jesus Christ told Paul, why are you persecuting me? When, they went, when Paul went against the Christians, Jesus Christ was telling Paul, why do you persecute me? 
Anybody that comes against you, understand this. Anybody that comes against you, anybody that denies Jesus Christ, anybody that blasphemes Jesus Christ, anybody that rejects Jesus Christ, any enemy of Jesus Christ, they will be defeated. No matter what politician, no matter what ruler, no matter what king, no matter what queen, no matter what president, no matter who desires to shut the gospel down, they will all be defeated. And we will be there to see their defeat. As we saw here, anyone that is not written in the Lamb's book of life, they will spend eternity in the lake of fire. We will be in the presence of God as God is passing judgment on all of these. They will look at us and they will remember what, I, what they did against you. And they will be regretting what they did, but it's too late because they had an opportunity while they were here on earth. Just remember this. The enemy will be defeated. And you and I will walk in victory. No matter what, you will walk in victory. We will experience victory. And the victory only comes through Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You. As we gather this evening, Lord, as we talked about just the victory over our battles, the victory over these things that, and these people that come against us, Lord. But Your Word tells us that the only way to experience this victory is that we've got be, to belong to You, Lord. We've got to choose You. We've got to place our faith in You. Because if we don't, Lord, we're just like the rest of these enemies that have their name not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But for those of you that are here and you want your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we will pray for you. If you want your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you want to experience victory through Jesus Christ, I'm going to have you now raise your hand if you want this. Anybody wanting to receive this, amen. Anyone else? Anyone else wanting to receive this? I know the Lord is talking to a few of you. If you want to commit or recommit your life, because maybe you see your life that you walked away from God, that you weren't abiding in Him, that He wasn't dwelling in you because you were going after the things of the world. If you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ, you can do that now. Raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anyone wanting to do that? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else wanting to do this? Anyone else? For those of you that raise your hand, I want you to repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for sinning against You. I commit my life to You. I open my heart to You. I invite You to dwell within me. I ask You to forgive me of my sins. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. For sending Jesus Christ to die and to pay the penalty for my sins. And Holy Spirit, I need Your power. I need Your power to live a life that pleases my Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I do today. 
Lord Jesus, I proclaim You as my Master. I proclaim You as my Lord. You are my Savior. And for this very reason, I am indebted to You. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. And if you need someone to talk to, we have, if you need prayer, we have someone in the back that can talk to you, that can pray with you. And God bless you all.